Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you are in the world and what time it is when you're tuning in or what bank has crashed since you last heard from us. This is Perrin Desports, and I'm your host for the Group Practice Accelerator podcast from Polaris Healthcare Partners. If you're an entrepreneurial dentist or physician and you're interested in building a successful group practice, you found your primary resource for some of the industry's best business education. My partner, DeWalker Sinha, and I have decades of experience helping people just like you launch, scale, and ultimately exit successful group practices. In short, we create clarity, confidence, and results. Well, welcome everybody to what I guess is going to be season three, episode 17 of the Group Practice Accelerator podcast, one that we're probably going to call Banking Collapse. Yep, you know it. This is an urgent edition. It's late breaking news of what's been happening in our world over the last handful of days. And if we're talking banking, you know I'm bringing my partner behind the microphone. Mila doesn't make scotch, but if they did, you might want to pour a glass. I don't know about taking notes. Just stay tuned. The Group Practice Accelerator podcast is on the air. Well, welcome everybody once again to the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. I am your host, Perrin Desports. And as I teased in the introduction, this is going to be a uh, late breaking news, a special edition, urgent, that type of a newscast, if you know what I'm saying, to talk about banking and everything that's happening in the world of banking. And to do that with me is my partner, DeWalker Sinha. DeWalker, you want to say hello to everybody? Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, hopefully, we'll provide some good insight into what's happening here. He's only a couple of miles away from my recording studios here in Charlotte, North Carolina, not halfway around the globe. So don't mind that last delay on the mic there. That being said, since we dropped our last episode, there have been a couple of things happening in the world, <laughs> specifically uh, the United States and North America. And if anybody has been paying any attention to the news, uh, social media or otherwise, you've heard about Silicon Valley Bank. You've heard the name Silvergate and Signature. There are probably others that have been uh, around the newscast. And you've probably heard that there is a lot of anxiety around something called a banking collapse which we have seen over the last four or five working days as we're recording this episode on March the 14th. So DeWalker and I figured since all of our our target audience and and our uh, clients that we work with are what we call doctor founded and debt funded, you're all using bank funds to grow, there's some level of either anxiety or head scratching, depending on where you fall in the spectrum around that, uh, as it relates to the world of banking. So we figured we'd rip a, an impromptu episode and try to give a little bit of clarity on this and appreciate the Walker's time today and joining me behind the microphone. DeWalker, let's start out by maybe going at just a basic level real quick. Let's talk about how banks work. Uh, you know, all of us think about going to an ATM to deposit a check or to take out cash. Um, but really, it's more than that. Let's talk through deposits and in this case withdrawals we'll talk about run on the banks in a little bit talk about how banks make investments and how interest rates and yields impact kind of all of the above do you want to you want to start this one off at kind of the the foundational level of the pyramid here 
Uh, sure. So essentially, uh, as all of us on the audience would look at a bank, a bank is a place where you go deposit your 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 cash in your account. And in some cases, you will have lending relationships also in the form of mortgages, credit cards, business loans, lines of credit, things like that. Um, so essentially, the, a bank functions in a way where you know uh, you'll deposit you know a hundred dollars, ten thousand dollars into that account, um, and the bank will provide you some kind of a yield on it, um, and they'll you know give you a disclosure called an APY or annual percent percentage yield, and depending on the market conditions, that's probably been as low as 0.1 or 0.01, um, and then it can be as high as and you see today today's market. Um, be you know one two three percent of any percent percentage yield, and what the bank will do is obviously raise. That's their way of raising cash capital, right? You know, so they'll have cash capital, um, and then from there they will you know leverage that capital to deploy for credit products. Uh, and we've talked about securitization in our previous podcasts. Um, that's another way for a bank to recapitalize their balance sheet, and we can uh, uh, talk about that a little bit more. But so let's say the bank accumulates $100 million in deposits uh, over a period of time or just getting deposit accounts. And banks are supposed to maintain about 10, at least, at least 10% liquidity, um, ideally, you know, get to around 20% liquidity. Because, you know, usually a run of the bank, as you kind of alluded to, doesn't happen, you know, unless something cataclysmic is happening, like we're experiencing now. Uh, but usually, you know, people deposit money, may pull money out, and a bank's able to understand their uh, cash ins and cash cash outs in, in the process. Um, so, you know, they'll take the other eighty million dollars traditionally on a hundred million dollar cash deposits or ninety million dollar cash deposits, and they'll, you know, leverage that. You know, they're paying you a half a percent to one percent, and they're going to go out and, and provide that as a credit product to the market in the form of mortgages. Um, business loans, credit cards, and make some kind of a yield on it, which is going to be significantly higher than the yield they're paying you. Um, and the delta in the yield covers their administrative costs running the bank, which kind of helps just like a normal business, right? We think about a dental practice, it has expenses, you know, beyond the cost of placing a crown or placing an implant. So you have to kind of take all those things into account as far as when you price things. So a bank will provide a, you know, that 80, $90 million dollars let's say it's earning 6%, it's providing a yield of one, they have a delta of 5% per year. So, you know, and that is going to be, let's say $90 million is $4.5 million in interest. And off of that $4.5 million, they're, you know, putting in risk reserves, paying their payroll and running, just a running a business overall. Um, and that's how a bank tends to make money. And then if they need to uh, obviously raise more capital, sometimes they'll buy treasury bonds, um, you know, in the market. And, Kind of, we're kind of leaning into some of the issues that happen or happening today is, and we've talked about this in the securitization side and as far as loan products, that if you're you know doing loans at three percent interest rates and now you're, you can do loans at seven percent interest rate or eight percent, then you know you can't offload your balance sheet. So essentially, what was happening for uh, is happening in the market right now is a lot of these treasury bonds were issued in 2020, 21, when the Fed's funds rate was minimal. Um, and now the Fed's funds rate is higher and the treasuries are higher. And so the banks are running negative on their yield, right? Um, so that's one of the things that uh, uh, um, is causing the issues with some of these banks uh, out there. Um, and so, but overall, how a bank works is deposits, withdrawals, there's a delta in the yield. 
and they, they make a delta on the yield. And then if they use that leverage capital, of, you know, $90 million that I talked about, some portion of that, a bank has the ability to syndicate it or uh, to the secondary market. Uh, and when the syndicate in the secondary market, which means somebody else buys that paper, they essentially get a discount yield on it, uh, which we've talked about in another podcast on how to calculate it. So I'm kind of working through a lot of issues that we've addressed on different podcasts instead of going into each of these rabbit holes and they're able to recapitalize a balance sheet. Um, so that, many ways for a bank to function and make revenue uh, off the deposits they have. Okay, so you mentioned you you concluded that thought with the deposits that they have, and I think this was one of the, um, I, well, I mean, I was going to say primary catalyst. That's probably not the right way of putting it, but this was maybe the, um, uh, the final straw or the crushing blow, if you will, um, where you you create a run on a bank where the people who have deposits start withdrawing their money, um, and let's talk about what has happened kind of in that context in the last few days between the name brands we've, we've, we've gotten to know and love in the last really 72 working hours or so Silicon Valley bank, SVB uh, signature out of New York and Silvergate and, and any others that I'm probably missing that might have been mentioned recently or have certain exposure. I mean, do you want to, you want to talk through some of the, the run on the bank scenario with some of them and where those find themselves. I mean, uh, not just being up for resale now, um, but but sort of what happened and 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 caused it. Yeah, so let's let's connect on uh, SVB uh, Silicon Valley Bank and just on a high level, and then kind of talk about the overall uh, situation in the markets. First of all, I, I, this is not two thousand eight. Um, it is you know a um, a bump in the road, a, 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 a real bump in the road. And I think everyone in the market's feeling, and we could talk about the impact of this in the market as far as moving forward, but it is not 2008. So I definitely don't want to, that was a systemic failure across the entire financial network. Um, this is not a systemic failure across the, the entire financial network. Um, so what, what again, so I kind of talked about treasury bonds, things like that. And if you guys looking at bond markets and looking at how they're performing compared to uh, and if you bought you know, uh, U.S. bonds a couple years back, uh, you know if you've been heavily invested in U.S. bonds a couple years back, you're running in the red right now significantly. Um, so I want to take a moment and kind of talk about that. So m- almost all the U.S. banks, majority of the U.S. banks are running, if they heavily invested into treasury bonds between 2020 and 2022, are running in the red on their treasury bonds. Um, that in itself is not an issue. And if anything, one of the things that the Treasury, I believe, has communicated um, is that they will allow the Treasury bonds to be treated like par, okay, uh, at a par value. So I think that's going to provide some level of confidence as far as, um, um, you know, uh, banks uh, looking at their potential write-offs or, you know, a negative rate. So, and so just like a loan, so if you bought a treasury bond in 2020 and it's providing you XYZ return and in 2023, um, uh, uh, it's providing a, a higher return, that spread you're running as a negative on the US treasury bonds. You just wanna, so that's no different than loans. You're not able to offload those treasury bonds and recapitalize it at the same par value. And essentially the US government now is saying you can trade it as par value. Um, that's one of the issues that happened with SVB, um, but it's it's that's probably if I was to say it's that's probably more of a systemic issue because a lot of banks are exposed to that. Um, the reason it's not an issue with a lot of the banks 
is because most of the banks are at least capitalized at 10%, if not closer to 20%. And there's a lot of data in the market out there that we've reviewed is that shows that overall there are, there's overall real stability in the market overall uh, to kind of backstop it. And with the Federal Reserve coming in, they obviously are backstopping SVB. Uh, the other issue with SVB that happened is they did have a, a because they are heavily invested in the tech sector, they do a lot of startups um, and small businesses. They ended up, I believe, they reported a $1.8 billion loss uh, recently. And obviously, when you take that kind of loss, they're trying to raise equity capital. And when that equity capital did not materialize, it started to cause panic in the institutions. And that caused people to start to say, okay, we got to pull our money out. And whenever people start to say, we got to pull our money out, everyone tried to pull their money out. So the runs on bank is not like, you know, if you have, you know, 100,000 uh, clients, only 1,000 come for it. If you have 100,000 clients, you know, significant portion are coming for it. And again, most banks, and it's best they are 10 to 20% capitalized. Uh, to their total, you know, then they have the money uh, leverage. They have to make their money work, but they can't make their money work if they let it sit in their account. So that's part of the business model of the bank. The uh, now the other issues for Signature and Silvergate, and and there's this exposures beyond these two banks is this exposure to cryptocurrency, right? So um, not that cryptocurrency is you know not going to be in the future. You know, and there's you know, obviously different you know, conversations around with different banks, but the exposure for these banks were significant in these in these markets. Uh, some banks have chose not to be in the crypto space. As a matter of fact, the majority of the banks are still not in the crypto space. So the other aspects of low leverage ratio, uh, treasury significant investment in treasury bonds to raise capital in the economic downturn, uh, not down the, during the COVID years, let me rephrase that. Um, and then um, uh, exposure to high risk markets, you know, overall seems to be the pattern that kind of like the trifecta that's kind of impacting these banks. Um, beyond that, are there going to be ripple effects? And we're going to probably hear, you know, you know, few banks still come into these issues of potential receivership. Maybe uh, I'm not going to say these are the three banks that are, that's the stop all. Uh, we may hear some ripple effects uh, from this process. Uh, one of the other things, again, the, the other aspect is you still have a lot of these banks that have uh, treasury bond exposures from 2020, 2021, 2022, that's still at a negative uh, uh, yield that's causing capital burn. So that's why when we were talking in our previous podcast, we talk about the ability of a bank to syndicate paper or address pricing issues moving forward. Uh, these become very real issues for banks that um, are trying to um, create cash and balance sheet. Uh, and, and we're starting to see some of those things on a very extreme level with these three banks. But I think, you know, majority of banks have to start now, we're, you know, really focusing on their leverage ratios. They're probably going to do internal testings coming out of this. Um, and, um, you know, start, you know, we're going to see some aspect over the next three to six months, um, you know, of, of a, a, a financial change of how businesses look at risk models, things like that, to some level coming back to, you know, capital testing, stress testing, things like that um, out there. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really a, a scenario that's probably isolated to a, a few unlucky banks, uh, unlucky, poorly planned banks that, um, you know, had the, the perfect cocktail of, of um, you know, underperforming yield and then uh, exposure on crypto and some things like you mentioned that just kind of, it's more unique than systemic. And I think that's when people immediately reverted back to the 2008, 
you know, the housing collapse that you referenced earlier, that we're a long way from that. I mean, so, you know, it's not that the sky is falling, it's that you had the perfect storm on a handful of these, but um, it's not what we faced um, when Bear Stearns and Lehman went under um, in 08. So let's, let's be, you know, maybe look into your crystal ball a little bit, or I don't want to say prognosticate, but like thinking forward, what do you think is going to happen as it relates to, you know, the Fed and rates, certainly, um, but also the aspect around access to capital in general? What's what's the thought process there? Yeah, so I think uh, the Federal Reserve is in a real pickle uh, coming out of this week um, in the fact that one of the issues that's happening is this rising rate market is causing the treasury bonds to have this issue that were issued in the previous years and causing negative uh, yields or negative burn rates for for you know an, an entire banking aspect. Um, and I think coming out of the data from last week for CPI, uh, job jobs unemployment, I think the the general temperature was that you know we're going to see a seventy five basis points increase. Um, you know, uh, coming up in our next, I think the 21st or 20th is the next Federal Reserve's meeting. So um, I think since then, it's, uh, the temperature is now temper, you know, is, is down on the fact that it might be 25 bips, maybe 50 bips. And, and uh, because I think people are concerned about the continued impact in the financial services market of, of being 75 basis points. So um, I think on one side, the Federal Reserve hasn't seen CPI come down to the level they'd want to see it to come down to. They still see a very strong jobs market in the in, uh, the data points as far as unemployment numbers, new jobs being created. Um, on the other side, um, you know, you have this, uh, you know, the, the way to offset it is to continue to raise pricing, but yet you have this this you know you know mini banking issue that's coming up. Um, and I say mini in a very broad term. I mean, just we have three banks that are facing it. Probably a few other banks that are exposed. To very close levels to it uh, that we may hear in the next 30 days that comes out of it. Um, so they, the Federal Reserve now has to really uh, be uh, cautious and deliberative of what that next move is. Um, so you know, if they do 75 basis points, I think they're gonna, they might maintain the cadence because that in some ways that one would argue that kind of creates confidence overall that this was an isolated in situation. On the other side, they might look at 25 to 50 bips saying, okay, it might be isolated, but you know, let's really be cautious as we move forward to see how the market continues to evolve. Uh, and maybe the, the next bigger change might be April or May as they study their next uh, unemployment and CPI index. So that's as far as, you know, Fed's funds rates, I think where that's headed. Um, I think what I kind of alluded to uh, is also, I think over the next six months to nine months, I think you're going to see bank policies just kind of be a little more um, um Tightening up a little bit, conservative, just uh, risk oriented. Rightfully so, I think every just bank is want to want to take a pause and just make sure they understand how things are going. Um, you know, I think access to capital for our customers is I, I don't see it as an issue. A lot of the banks we work with, bank and non bank lenders, as I've said in the past podcast, are well capitalized. Um, Yes, you know we're still going to have to have maybe one more, two more phone calls with them to make sure they understand your business model. I do think people are going to ask a little more questions, uh, but I really don't see uh, for for uh, our clients and our prospects that uh, have good businesses, good growth models, good performance, uh, access to capital is an issue. Um, it wasn't an issue during COVID. 
It's not an issue uh, uh, coming out of COVID as the right cost of capital keeps going up. And, and unfortunately, the past you know week or so, um, yes, it causes a little pause. Yes, it's going to have some ripple effects over the next 60, 90 days, six months. But uh, uh, the institutions we work with, um, you know, I've been looking at their balance sheets. They're public. Some of them are publicly available companies. They're well capitalized. Uh, they're closer to that 20% um, capitalization rate versus the 10% that we've been talking about. So that gives me a lot of confidence, you know, for, uh, with our clients. That's good. That's. I mean, uh, we we stress uh, that for lower middle market and middle market lending solutions for for our client base. Um, it's it's not about the name brand on the bank. It's really about the bank that that best suits uh, your vision for growth of your business. And and that's a, you know, what DeWalker just mentioned in terms of the way we look at the bank's balance sheet. It's a comprehensive aspect of are they the right fit for you? Uh, and it's far uh, there. There are a lot more things at play than just the rate. One of the things that is important to remember and and to make note of is that when we talk about growth capital solutions, at least, um, we're we're really focused on the commitment from the bank to the client moving forward. And, and does it annual, uh, does it re-up annually or is it every six months or how is that negotiated? But it is a, a written contract, a written term sheet that outlines everything like that. So when we start talking about future growth and, and the, the concept, at least, of a credit facility, here is where having the credit facility in writing uh, allows you to sleep well at night. Now, I don't think any of us would have forecasted that we'd be recording this episode about this subject today, but it really does drive home the written commitment of a lender to a client in terms of availability of capital as long as the business performs. So, DeWalker, why don't you kind of put a bow on today's episode and and let's talk about that credit credit policy from the bank and the uh, the credit facility as it relates to the the term sheet, what's outlined in there, and how the bank operates to continue to to fund that for the client moving forward. Sure. So I, I think uh, uh, you know the clients that uh, engaged us and have current credit policy uh, facilities in place. Uh, I think they're in a really good position because one, the banks are um, are, are well capitalized. Two. They have a contractual agreement in front of them. Uh, I do want to pause and just kind of just state one thing on it is, you know, you know, if it was if we had used Silicon Valley Bank for any of our clients because it went under a receivership, even if there was a contractual obligation, unfortunately, that would be null and void at that point to that process. And, you know, because the bank would be, you know, not be lending anymore. Um, But, you know, where it is very meaningful for our clients is well-capitalized banks that are now looking to change their credit policies, right? Or become more conservative. If they had looked at a 4X leverage ratio on a deal, you know, uh, some banks will start looking at 3.5X EBITDA, you know, on a leverage ratio. Uh, But our clients that are contractually into those deals at a 4X leverage ratio benefit from a policy that, uh, um, you know, I guess call it a legacy credit policy, right? Grandfathered in. Right, so I think it's it's very meaningful to 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 those guys to be in in, in that position today. Um, you know, the client, people that are in process with us right now, I think it's um, you know we're going to continue to focus on that leverage ratio, the covenants that are going to be put into place um, to make sure that they have the best product 
credit products in place as soon as possible, um, as we do see or do believe there's going to be some credit matrix change over the next six months into the process. And uh, lastly, for the people that are listening to us that are evaluating if they need a new bank, um, I think, you know, Perrin, you've said it in the past, you know, sit down with your banker, don't make this a reactive relationship, make it a proactive relationship. I would be having a real sincere conversation with your banker and saying, okay, what does this mean to me? And not take their word for it, get it into a contractual uh, agreement. Uh, if not, I think I would seriously ask most of our audience members, if not all of them, to kind of, you know, give us a call, evaluate their their uh, their business to see, you know, what leverage issue we can get them, what does it look like from their current institution, and move them to an institution that can be their partner going into this the the into the latter part of 2023 to 2024, and providing the right credit uh, product uh, to allow them to grow. That's gonna you know be that's not gonna be restrictive or in a case by case basis. I think that case by case basis that we've talked about parent over and over again. Um, I, I think that's going to be uh, very challenging for more, you know, most of the uh, people that are in the credit markets right now. Yeah, I, that's a that's a good way to leave it. And I would say that you know, John Paul, our growth capital solutions uh, specialist, has probably read more loan documents from prospective clients over the last six months than he'd care to count. Um, and, and that's quite all right. That's what we do. That's not a service we charge for. If you if you're not sure where you stand. With your current lender or the way your your current debt is structured, you owe it to yourself to get clarity around that. And JP is happy to spend a little bit of time and you know look through your docs and and give you some insight into it for sure. To hammer home to Walker's last point, if you are in a banking relationship where every time you want to buy or build another practice, you've got to go back uh, to the credit committee um, and and wait on approval on a case-by-case basis. Like every opportunity is a new choose-your-own-adventure and you're not sure what the outcome is going to be. That's a terrible place to be in if you think you have solid growth opportunities for the next 12 to 24 to 36 months. If you're in a market that's growing or one that's ripe for acquisition, or you think it's just a target-rich environment for you to build your business, you absolutely have to have a rock-solid commitment in place for the future, in writing for the future, that you will be able to execute upon. And if you don't have that, then you're going to be chasing your tail every single time you want to buy or build an additional location. That's why this is so important. So, DeWalker, thanks so much for joining me on the show today. I know our our audience is better for your insights, and I appreciate you on relatively short notice joining me to to get this one out. I know this will be well-received and look forward to having you back on another show sometime soon, my friend. All right? All right. Thanks for having me. You got it. And thank you all for uh, uh, for being in the audience, giving us the, the accolades, the ratings, the reviews that you do. We really appreciate it. It goes a long way. It helps with the, the show ranking and everything like that. And I'm, I'm always thrilled whenever I, I talk to somebody on the phone and they say, hey, I, I really love your podcast. Or maybe I just, re- I just found your podcast and I've binged the last hundred episodes. I, I tend to ask them if they have trouble falling asleep at night. And if you do, the podcast will help you with that as well. Thanks so much for being a listener and a subscriber. We'll see you on the next episode.